Welcome to another episode of Planetary Union Network. This is our second episode. And for those of you that thought we wouldn't last, you got to pay up and settle your debts. With me is my co-host, Joe Quickle. Hey, how's it going? Good, Joe. How are you? All right, all right. And we scored a guest already for our second episode. We have with us Patrick Cox. How are you, Patrick? Good. How are you guys? Great, great. We really appreciate you coming on with us, especially with such short notice. Um, I'm glad to be here. Super. Now, for those of you that might not recognize the name right offhand, you obviously then are not familiar with Patrick's extensive history and resume of playing bouncers in just about every TV show and movie, correct? <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I, I like to think that my... Uh that I've expanded a little farther than that. But yeah, if there's been a biker or a bouncer uh, on a show, I've probably played it at least once. And I think you've played the huge inmate a few times as well. <clears throat> yeah, uh, The Dark Knight Rises. And actually my first um, my first job when I got to L.A. was at the, uh, if you watch the end, uh, the last scenes they shot after the, uh, the credits and hall pass, I uh, give a guy a good, what for in a prison cell naked. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I've, had, I've had some prison experiences. Um, now, we have you on here, being a the Orville fan podcast. Um, you were in the first episode of the Orville, and you were Justin the Ogre. Yep, that is correct. Now, how did this come about? What was the, was there a, you know, call put out for Ogres? Um, yeah, I think basically, uh, they put out the call and, you know, I went in like a normal audition and I think I was the only person there at the audition that had not previously been in an episode of Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> like being, being sort of a nerd, I recognized a lot of the faces and, um, there was only like three other guys that were in there for it. And I think ultimately it was my voice because I'm, re you know, I'm really big. I'm six, five. 325 and uh but i don't have like that deep kind of big guy voice and even when we were on set like seth I, like i remember i had a headache <laughs> and uh asked uh, a lady i was like hey i don't mean to, to bother you but if you have a second um i could really use a couple of aspirin you know and seth's just cracking up because he's just like <laughs> dude that voice asking that sweetly for aspirin in that get up so i think ultimately it was just he likes the voice. <laughs> yeah, we um, we've already had one episode of this podcast, and we raved about Justin the Ogre in our review oh, of the first awesome. episode. I'll go back and listen to that. Um, yeah, I I thought it was you know I, what did I what did I call him Joe Charming? Yeah, I believe or, Charming, or, or maybe even I used the word delightful. That'll have, work. <laughs> have you ever any of your characters? Or roles you've played have been described as charming and delightful. I yeah, I did two years on a sitcom called Two Broke Girls, and I played a gay pastry chef named Big Mary. And uh, Big Mary yeah. was was probably the most delightful, happy, 
thing I've ever played. Everyone else has been pretty pretty evil. Yeah, whenever I heard your uh, voice on uh, the uh, the Orville, like I recognized that voice somewhere, and we'd actually watched Two Real Girls. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, right. actually, when I went in, it was for the role of Krill command, uh, Krill commander, or Krill captain, or something. And I'm standing in the in the room doing the lines, and she's just looking at me, kind of weird the whole time. And I'm like, that's this is not a good sign. And she goes, "Would you read for another part?" And then she handed me the just and the oversize, and and that was pretty much was pretty much it. So yeah, I actually wasn't even initially up for Justin. Now that seems to be the. Mo for a lot of roles, uh, like Star Trek type. You were talking about Star Trek actors being in this, that they show up for one role and then get thrown in another. Yeah, and a lot of them had you know done three or four different roles. You know, with the makeup and stuff, it's not that hard. All right, let's uh, let's uh, visit the makeup. How long were you in the chair? Um, once we got it down, you know, once we got the process down, we had done all the tests and all that kind of stuff. A little under two hours, and then about an hour to get all the goop off afterwards. Okay, so that wasn't horrible. I've heard much worse experiences. Is this the first time you worked under prosthetic makeup? No, uh, it was definitely the the best. Um, Howard Berger did all the effects. He does the, I think he does all the makeup effects for uh, Walking Dead. Okay, and, uh, he's he's just fabulous. I want. I mean. What, the coolest thing, sorry if I'm going off track a little bit. Oh, no, go, I, go. We've got we got I, an hour to kill, so go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> when I first went down there to get my head mold, I was already not happy because I had to shave my beard for it. But uh-huh. um, I go in there, and I'm looking at all these posters on the walls of all these movies and, and The Walking Dead and stuff, and I'm like, wow, you guys have worked on, like, a lot of stuff that I really dig. And, like, <laughs> you know, I was, I was starting to recognize some names for makeup artists and stuff. And then we walk in and it's like, oh, there's Greg Nicotero. And he was the nicest guy ever. And he took me in his office and we're hanging out and talking. And he let me hold the first draft of the Jaws script. Like that was like the Bible to me. <laughs> Jaws is the <laughs> best like, movie ever made. Oh, yeah. And he's like, do you want, he's like, do you want to hold Lucille? And I was like, oh, you got a, you got a copy of Lucille? He's like, oh, man, I've got the Lucille that actually gave <laughs> wow. that guy's head in. Look, it's still got the blood on it. So, and he like, let me take pictures with it. So that that whole situation from then on with with them was fantastic. <laughs> now, when you held Lucille, did you do your best Negan impersonation? I just kind of held it out. I think I, I, I was I was doing my best me impersonation. There you go. Because I had actually just pitched Nicotero, like, "Hey man, um, Beta, what do you think?" No. And he was like, "I I can neither confirm nor deny." I'm like, "Yeah, okay, but just just keep me in mind." <laughs> <laughs> So I'd already pissed myself. I was trying to look a little menacing with the bat. Yeah, that would be for Walking Dead comic fans. Now, oh yeah, I get much of it. Now, um, now I actually heard about Justin the Ogre before I saw the episode. I was at a Super Bowl party, and a friend of mine was a member of the crew shooting. Oh, okay. And I don't know if it was around the same time, but that was what he talked about was the experience he had shooting that scene. His name's Mickey. And so it was so fun. He, yeah, that's what he said. He said that scene was just so much fun. And he shot, he is, he's been on a ton of different movies. Uh, I'm not even going to get into uh, naming them all off. But he said the experience of that shoot, especially that um, hologram scene with Justin the Ogre and um, Scott, was just a lot of fun. It was. It was, I mean, everybody was like, I didn't really know what to expect. Um, 
uh, I had heard from a lot of people that Seth MacFarlane was a really nice guy. Um, I knew from doing all the, the fight coordinating leading up to it that Scott Grimes was great. Um, had never met or been around um, John Favreau. But uh, everybody was just super nice. And, they, you know, it was one of those really nice atmospheres where, you know, you ad-lib a little bit, have fun with it. Um, the hardest part was we had done all the stunt, all the work, you know, setting up the fight scene, uh, you know, just in sweatpants. Right. And then all of a sudden, literally 50 pounds of leather and armor <laughs> strapped on me <laughs> and these huge boots. Uh, it was, you know, figuring out the range of motion in that was a little, a little tough. <laughs> we got through it. Um, now, you said you, you're you're a fan of the Star Trek. Um yeah, as we both are too. Now the holodeck plays a big role on Star Trek: Next Generation, and there have been a holodeck character who has come back. Speaking of mm-hmm. Moriarty, yeah, in the Sherlock Holmes Data episodes, um, have you already started discussing the return of Justin? I haven't. You know, <clears throat> on set, various people made mention of the fact that we have to we have to bring this character back. It's too funny. Um. And I'd always, I, I pitched it to, you know, when I was just throwing out ideas uh, that, like, I would love for him to be, like, a, like kind of a mix between the Doctor from Voyager and Guinan. Mm-hmm. You know, sort of like a, you know, he's a hologram that can pop around and he can be in all kinds of weird situations and do whatever, but he's kind of like the Yoda character. You know, he's kind of like the, if you, need, if you need advice, you know, he's the guy you go to. <laughs> Playing just so down of, to earth. my thought. Because he he sounds like he would give you the kind of advice you would you know Grandpa from the Waltons would give you you know good simple yeah, <laughs> yeah but he, he just he just seems like a shy kid mm-hmm. you know and that's what, that's what I love about him like I, I think whatever advice he gave would be the kind of advice that like a five year old would give you that you're <laughs> not expecting but somehow through his little five year old worldview just makes so much sense so okay so you've got some backstory to Justin um, you've thought this through. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> I mean, when you're sitting there for hours and hours and hours dressed up like a giant ogre who, you know, talks like a, you know, greeter at Walmart or something. I mean, you spend some time in the shoes and you start you start thinking like you might think. <laughs> um, now, let me ask you this. We assume the show is going to be a hit and it's going to be around for a little while. And of course, that uh, the means, numbers so far are great. <laughs> yeah, they are awesome. And uh, you know, fuck the critics, what they think. They're obviously way off base on this one. Critics didn't like Star Trek either. I don't, as, as I recall. Right now, that of course means merchandising. Are you going to be out there on the shelves to grab your Justin Yoger action figure as soon as it comes out? The first question I asked when I went in for my wardrobe fitting was because I, I was looking at like the all the designs for all the creatures and all the costumes on the walls. And was pretty blown away. And I was like, please tell me they're going to do action figures. And, you know, Seth's a big nerd, too. He's a big yeah. sci-fi geek, too. So, like, they were like, well, Seth really wants to have action figures. <laughs> I was like, I would have done this for free if you told me at the end of it there would be a Justin the Ogre action figure <laughs> on, the, on the shelves. Uh, yeah, I would, I would, I would go out and buy. I, like you know, like when your name's in the paper the first time and you go out and buy a hundred of them. Like that's right. what I would do with Justin the other action figures. Because I see that as the type of figure that comes out. You know, they do, they'll do most of the main cast, and then you know they'll do a Krill Warrior. Yeah, and you know, and then I want they Todd use, McFarlane to do them. I know that. 
Uh, there you go. <laughs> he's, he's, hey, they, he just got the Star, the Star Trek license, so. Yeah, I love looking, that guy. He's fantastic. Looking forward to those. I'm like a talking Justin the Ogre action figure, actually. There you go. <laughs> you pull a string and he says something, something cute. Yeah. Now with a detachable head? Uh, if necessary, I just think that's so awful. And that was the thing. I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm used to being killed. Like, I got shot one episode of Justified, and they shot me. And the next day at lunch, the one of the writers was like, you know, you were actually really fun to work with. I kind of wish we hadn't killed you. <laughs> um, so I'm kind of used to being killed. But this is one where I just was immediately like, I'm a computer program. I'm designed to be killed over and over again. There's a chance. Now, yeah, I would he- love that. I would love for him to be like this, you know, like the like the cult little little guy and you know the limited edition action figure <laughs> that everybody's yeah. fighting over on ebay i already see him as the mourn character from deep space nine yeah i, I think that. that would work and now if ultimately like speaking of star trek ultimately what i want is just to be able like my friend cooper is on uh walking dead and i think every weekend he's off somewhere having fun at a con like that's that's what i want to be i want the show to be so big that I can spend the rest of my life going to sci-fi conventions that just suck. I, I guarantee of you right now <laughs> that you could have a table signing autographs at every single weekend for the rest of your life at cons. Now, yeah, absolutely, I just looks so much. It looks like so much fun. Like I, that's my. That's my. I know I should probably have bigger goals than that. You know, <laughs> as of right now, my main goal is to, is to be is to be able to do that. Yeah. Have Have you seen Alan Tudyk's show Con Man? I have not. I have heard really good things about it. I'm a huge fan of his. Obviously, you might want to see that before you want to sign off. You know, on doing cons for the rest of your life. <laughs> well, maybe not for the rest of my life, but you know, like I see all these pictures of of my friend doing it, and every weekend it just seems incredible and i'm sure like i'm sure when you get to be like someone like seth mcfarlane or you know adrian palicky or something where people are always bothering you that that might get old mm-hmm. but I, but i think for a few months maybe a year you know when you've kind of been a, a nobody in this business for a long time to actually have people give a shit who you are oh, i'm sorry i didn't mean to oh yeah no, no yeah, i've already, ahead, I've, already I've already dropped the <laughs> f-bomb so oh i guess you have yeah um now, yeah, no. Speaking of conventions, because I've, I'm in the comic book industry, and I've done, I've been on both sides of the table as a fan, and you know, signing comic books on the on the other side. Mm-hmm. And no, without a doubt, I wouldn't be surprised. Like if I saw you at the Long Beach X Comic Expo this April, I think is when it is. Well, they You're can go- call me. Yeah, they mentioned well, like maybe wanting me before the show aired at the Amarillo Con, and I got dissed on the Amarillo Con, so now I'm. Now I have kind of like a like a grudge against the great city of Amarillo. <laughs> well, we'll get we'll make sure that we get spread the word that you are available for con work. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I could even bring I could even bring Justin's ears that I stole from set. Oh, there you go. Now, yeah, because I I bet there will be Orville specific conventions. Because if they have, I hope them, it gets that big. Because I really think it's a fun show. Like I was. I kind of, you know, I I knew what the first episode was going to be, but when I saw the second episode, that's what really hooked me, like as a sci-fi fan. And I, this I is a show I would watch. Um, because I saw the I went to the Paley Fest 
uh, thing last week where they show where they had the Orville and they actually showed us the second episode since the first one had already come out. So I'd already seen it before it aired last night. Okay. And I thought it was better than the first episode. And first episodes are always kind of clunky because they got to introduce the characters and, you know, the situation. Because I remember Encounter at Farpoint for Next Generation was not the best (laughs) Star Trek. It wasn't the best, no. I mean, let's be honest. The first season, maybe season and a half, wasn't exactly high quality. Like, when I go back and revisit the series on Netflix or something, it's always kind of like, yeah, let's get through it. I can go to sleep through this episode. Okay, now we can go. Now, uh, now speaking of Trek, um, which is your favorite Star Trek? Which which next incarnation? Generation. Next generation. Your next you generation know, guy. I say next generation because I I grew up like I was a kid. Like you know, I watched the original series on reruns and stuff. But really, when I was a kid, is when Next Generation came out. But if I'm going to be honest, the one I watched the most is Voyager. Oh, okay. I just like that whole idea of them kind of being out there and there's no help there's no federation to come in and save them see know? i i always saw voyager now i love all my star trek but i'm really an original series kind of guy because i'm old <laughs> and i always saw voyager as kind of like the gilligan's island of star trek really because it was like did you see that episode where they almost got off the island oh <laughs> that was like voyager did you see that episode where they almost got back to the alpha quadrant right yeah <laughs> Um, I mean, there was some, the Delta Quadrant was a little more treacherous than Gilligan's Island. They didn't have the giant cave spider, but right. You know, there, <laughs> and the Harlem Globetrotters never showed up. No, that would have, that would have actually been great though. If if they went to that planet and instead of finding, you know, Amelia Earhart and those people, they had found the Harlem Globetrotters. That's how I would have written that. That, <laughs> that would have been awesome. <laughs> maybe maybe that could be in season two of um, the Orville. Uh, Batman and Robin and the Globetrotters. <laughs> and I think that's Phyllis Diller. I don't know. That would have been a great episode. <laughs> um, you got anything, Joe? Uh, well, actually, whenever I was um, uh, looking at your Twitter, Patrick, uh, I saw you're the uh, creator and writer of a new project you've got, and I don't want to butcher the name, so I'll let you say it. <laughs> it's called Breakerati. Um, I had actually gone into a pitch meeting uh, a buddy of mine that used to work at MTV uh, became the VP of production at this new company. And he was like, yeah, if you want to, I know you've always written stuff. Do you want to come in and pitch? And I was like, sure. So I go in there with all my best ideas, all laid out, ready to go. And he shot down every one of them based on the demographic that his company was going for. And I had just watched a movie called Jim Cotta. Oh yes. That is one of the best bad movies you'll ever see in your life. And so just kind of on the spot, I go, <laughs> all right, so it's the 80s, and instead of martial arts coming from, you know, the Far East, it, it all started with whatever kind of dancing. So all, all martial arts are based on dancing. And, uh, you know, the guys, the, 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 the B-boys, you know, the breakerati guys, um, they, they, they work in this, because uh, I've, always, I've always wanted to be in a movie where I saved the rec center. So, like, so they, they live in this rec center. <laughs> And the, the disco samurai, uh, him and his disco goons, and it just kind of, he was like, dude, I love this. And, <laughs> and next thing you know, I'm finally uh, a paid writer, and they just uh, wrapped shooting on it a couple of weeks ago, and it's going to be on Go90, which is, uh, I think, Verizon, okay. their new streaming service. But, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Now, is there, so a, montage, is there a montage scene 
there, you know, we wrote one where I, they're learning how to use their, their powers that comes in later with a, a mystical artifact, of course. And, uh, he breaks out this, what he called the mixtape Maximus. It's like a okay. golden cassette tape <laughs> that they train to. Um, and I'm not sure how much of that ended up in the, in the final cut. Cause you know, they cut a lot for cost and stuff like that, but there was a training montage. Uh, I mean, pretty much any '80s cliche that I could think of, pretty much, pretty much found its way into break karate. Fantastic! All right, well, I think Joe's already making notes for his break karate podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have it, we'll have the whole crew on for you if you want. I really hope because if you get a chance to check it out when it comes out, I'm not sure exactly when that's going to be, but I really, uh, I really hope you guys dig it. I'll, I'll definitely keep you updated on Twitter. Yeah, well, and that's we one thing. If you guys like could it. let people know about my Twitter. Because I've only got like 40. I feel really lame. I've got like 39 followers. Oh, I just started it like worry. four days ago. Well, we'll but get I, it ex- exploded. And I'm and like I said, you, let's talk about this now. Like you said, you only got 39 followers now. But that'll turn into 3,900 shortly and 39K shortly. Just because, we'll you, just because you were one hologram in a sci-fi show. <laughs> that... The kind of people who latch onto these programs, and I am one, so it's, I'm not being derogatory or I'm not, you know, talking down about these kind of people because these are my people. I mean, I, I rushed out. We were the first Orville podcast. Somebody else might say they were, but we were there first because I'm mean, I telling you I about was that. Surprised that that quickly that there was even a Orville podcast. That's yeah, we were we, pretty impressive. We were going over it. Um, we were actually going to do a uh, another uh, pre episode after uh, San Diego Comic-Con, but uh, neither of us went, and they never really released the panel, so we didn't have anything to go off of, but we've been in the plan of this for months now. Yeah, because Planetary Union Network came together, because I was talking to that friend again, I was talking to the Super Bowl party, I had heard about the Orville, and I was so desperate, I wanted to be the first, you know, podcast about it. I'm like, you got to tell me about the show. Give me some names. What are, you know, what, what is it called? What is this? What is that? And he had taken photographs of, or photos. I sound like I'm, like I'm an old guy from the seventies photographs <laughs> with his automatic on a tin type. <laughs> and I, he had pictures. I had, I had seen pictures of your set from the, the holodeck. And I had seen, uh-huh. um, the office where they had the planetary union, logo behind the desk and that's where i got the name and i slapped network on it and planetaryunion.net was available and i grabbed it so that's when this podcast was born so i was that excited about it and it's kind of fitting to have you be our first guest because you were the first real thing that i had heard about that's awesome the first aspect of the show and which got me excited about it so but back to uh, what's a shame is that that set you know, they, for time, they had to cut that scene down a little bit. That was a beautiful set. Like, I, I, didn't, I didn't really see a lot of it when I watched it. But there's this beautiful Japanese tea house behind us, and it was gorgeous. I, I, wish, that, I wish that more of that had, had been shown, because it was really a beautiful set. Maybe we'll get a director's cut. Yeah, maybe. You know, you're <laughs> saying uh, people that latch on to these kind of programs. Exactly. Um, Howard, are you ready to deal with this? Because... Just because you're on this kind of show, you will have an almost icon status. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I'm cool with that. <laughs> <laughs> you did you know, say you uh, wanted to do conventions. 
Well, it's just doing anything and having people appreciate it is awesome. Like I, I could never like I guess it, I guess it gets old if you're like a superstar. Um, I, I don't think I'm ever going to be that guy. I'm not you know I'm not Joe leading man, but um, you know doing I could never I could never be annoyed by people wanting to come up and say hi or take a picture. Um, you know there was a guy in, in in the airport last time I flew that recognized me from Two Broke Girls, and he was very nervous about talking to me. And he was like, I'm so sorry. I, are you, you know, and I was like, I'm so sorry. Like, he was really upset. Like he had been slapped in the face by Brad Pitt one day or something. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> you know, I was like, that's so weird to me. Like, yes, I'll, I, I'm sorry. I can't take 30 seconds to take a picture with you, you know, piss off. No, that's, I could never get tired of that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I like, awesome. I like, I like attention. Now, are you are you ready? Have you been doing your research for when somebody asks you like a specific question about the armor that Justin wears? Or um, I actually can tell you about the armor. Okay, uh, some stuff there. It's more of the fun facts. <laughs> um, it was a mixture. Some of it was used in Vikings. It's actual armor that was used in the show Vikings, and some of it was from the movie Gladiator. But it was all actual you know, stuff that had been in other things. So that, that is, was actually kind of cool. That is a planetary union network exclusive. <laughs> right <is>. there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't, I, I'm going to butcher his last name, but Joseph, I think it's pronounced Prado, uh, was the wardrobe guy. And he is incredible. And when I looked at his IMDb page and just like Howard, again, saw how many movies that he had been a part of that I love, you know, like tombstone is one of my, you know, top five desert island movies mm-hmm. you know <laughs> so when i found out he was on that you know i went and looked at his IMDb page and just incredible like they really had the best people involved in uh in making this they could not have done a better job i was impressed with the first episode like we've talked already we were impressed with the second episode um and you're it's gonna find itself and it's gonna keep getting better i think that's that's the thing to look at it's gonna keep getting better because it still I... hasn't really found his voice and it's already good I agree. Yeah. And your contribution to it is what helps it stand out. I think it's, um, it gives it that true dramedy aspect, I believe. And I think it, I think to me, what I always thought when I looked at it was it, it, it shows that any, absolutely anything can happen on the show. It's not just space aliens. You might go back and fight a D and D character or, you know, anything is possible. And I think that was, whether that was intentionally, their plan when they planted a, a giant, you know, ogre with a battle axe on their holodeck or not. I don't know. But to me, I think that's kind of cool. Like you, if, if something happens on the show now, you're not going to go, holy crap. You're going to be like, oh, it's cool. They're going that direction. Like nothing's going to freak you out or shock you or right. wrong. They, they haven't painted themselves into a corner. Yeah. I like that. Like I saw people, I saw some people commenting I know that's the worst thing you can do as an actor is read reviews of a show you're on. But, <laughs> but you know, people complaining about, like, no intergalactic federation would allow an ex-wife and an ex-husband to serve. You know, I'm just, like, they're getting so technical already. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty funny. And these, and but these it's are, great because that means they care. <laughs> yeah, and these people are, are, the, so, are the fans. And nobody is more critical of something they love than again, these kinds of fans that, you know, latch onto these type of programs. Well, I'm one of them. 
I'm one of them. I mean, like I since I was in the sixth grade and first read uh, the Gunslinger, I have been obsessed with the Dark Tower books. Like I'm, they're really hard to read, and I've read them all five times. <laughs> wow! And uh, and so like I I understand. Like even from the trailer, I was already just completely gashing this movie and <laughs> like ready to ready to sign a petition to have it shelved. So yeah, I under, I understand. I understand the mindset of a true fan. But that's also something cool. There's no like original source material that people can go back and criticize Orville for, so that's cool. Yeah, yeah, it's um it's as as much as it borrows, it's still at least I find it unique. I think it's a respectful homage. I mean That's exactly the term I used. Really love Star Trek. Like mm-hmm. not just likes it or thinks it's cool. Like it's a part of him, you know, like it really mattered to him growing up. And you can, I, I, I think even though some people might say some of the jokes are a little distasteful, I think it's a very respectful, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's an homage to Star Trek, but it's also making sure that Seth MacFarlane fans aren't disappointed. <laughs> right. Um, I, I was at a, here's a story. I was at a bachelor party in Vegas when they had the Star Trek experience and, I don't know if you ever had a chance to go on that thing, which was really cool. No, I haven't. At the Hilton, you you know, you go on the um, Enterprise D and you fight Klingons, and it's pretty neat. But we're all in line, and we've all, you know, I think we had all been drinking at Cork's Bar there, and they had a rum dr- drink called the Warp Core Breach, so we were all pretty ripped. <laughs> right. But we all love Star Trek, and... We the way we were talking about Star Trek waiting in line with this, it was like, what would you do if you had the holodeck? And, you know, one of the guys was like, I think it was my little brother. He said something along the lines of he'd have to be careful that somebody didn't walk on walk in on him skull fucking the decapitated head of Captain Picard. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I hated Wesley Crusher. There's no way that I mean, the answer to where is Wesley should always be. He's on the, the holodeck. Yeah, you know, with, with 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 Deanna Troy. Like that should be the answer every time. Yeah. So, for people who are upset about the Orville again borrowing or, as they say, copying or parodying Star Trek, I don't, I don't think they they get it. There, it's not. You said it was a respectful homage, and I agree with you. It's. I think um, rather than latching onto the aspect of Star Trek, the TV show itself, what Seth is doing is exploring Star Trek as a trope. Yeah. And, and I think, I think also, uh, I, I personally think it's a more true in, in the spirit of, of re of Star Trek of the actual universe. I'm going to get in trouble for saying this. I know I am, but it's, it's a lot more true to that. It's a lot more Roddenberry than the new movies. Uh, you know, the J.J. Abrams stuff, mm-hmm. in my opinion. You know, if you wanted to ask me what's more Star Trek, the Orville or the J.J. Abrams Star War- Star Trek movies, I would say the Orville. And again, I enjoyed those as well, too, but I'm just an all, you know, I'm all Star Trek. <laughs> I didn't hate them. Yeah. But it just wasn't really my, you know, like you grow up and you have a certain mindset as far as something is concerned. And, you know, that just wasn't mine. I like the first one pretty good. And the dialogue, not not now. I'm not talking about the situations of of the of the Orville, as much as the dialogue and the character interaction. 
that is so much more human than Star Trek ever was. Um, yeah. People talk messy. I mean, just listen to this podcast. We are very messy talkers. Uh, and I think it makes it the show more human. And as much as I, again, love, love, love Star Trek, I can't emphasize how much, how much I love Star Trek. In fact, I'm doing a Star Trek discovery podcast in two weeks after the next, after the first episode airs. Cool. Um, but the dialogue that they have just about, you know, like the first one where they want to know if they could wear shorts on the bridge or have sodas. Yeah, the pizza party, all this stuff. And the pizza, <laughs> discussing the pizza party or, you know, the references. And you know, something else is not just the writing of it is like on set, they were like, I don't know if you'd say this. Let's try this. Like they were very free with that. And, you know, again, I don't know if you noticed, I'm going to point out a mistake that I made. But okay. in, in one of my lines, you know, when I'm supposed to say, oh, it's always such a treat to meet one of Gordon's friends. You know, I, I stumble in the middle of that. And I'm like, oh, it's always, always such a, you know, I, he, but that's the take they chose. And I think it was on purpose because it wasn't clean. Right. Well, it, you know, just, it was like an actual person talking and fucking up. <laughs> that just goes to show you that Justin the Ogre is human, too. Yeah, exactly. All right. Um so I think we'll do. I'll leave it at that. Uh, what do you got to plug, Patrick? Really, nothing, man. Just, just if people want to find me on Twitter, uh, Mr. Patrick Cox, I think is the is my Twitter name handle. I don't know what you people call it these days. I'm not very, I'm not very computer savvy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, if people want to follow me on Twitter. That'd be great. Um, but uh, I'm, uh, I'll, I'll be in the new Aquaman movie when that comes out. Uh, as fun. as a bouncer or inmate? Nah, I play a biker named Q-Ball that has a very, if you think Justin Yoger is funny, it's a, it's a similar sort of funny encounter with Aquaman. Oh, uh, can't it's wait. Just, you know, it's, just, it's just one, you know, one scene, maybe five minutes, but it was two weeks in Australia, man. It was awesome. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. So check Aquaman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just keep tweeting it. Seth, I'm sure Seth MacFarlane is starting to get annoyed that people keep asking to bring Justin back, but keep doing it. <laughs> it works. He's we will. Stuff. I know he does. We'll make sure that we get that campaign going. And we'd love to have you back on later down the road. If you're, if you're game, save my number, man, save my number. Call me anytime. All right. Well, we appreciate it, Patrick. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot, Patrick. All right, guys have a great night. So that was rather cool. Yeah. That, that, uh, that gelled together fairly rapidly. And uh, I really want to thank Patrick Cox for joining us there. Yeah, I woke up this morning with no idea that we'd have a guest on the podcast, let alone a guest from the first episode who was an actor and a character, not to mention Justin the Ogre. Um, but yeah, that was very cool. And again, big thanks uh, out there to Patrick Cox for uh, joining us on such, on such short notice and being a hell of a guest. We actually have all sorts of uh, recaps and news about the Orville now that we are into our uh, second week in our second podcast episode. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I think I know you went to uh, Paley Fest. I did go I, to the Paley Fest. It's, um, Paley Fest has a, they, basically what they do, they have a fall preview and they show new shows are returning shows with their first episode of the fall season. And they have the crew, cast and crew, or cast and, you know, producers show up. 
And when I heard that they were having it for the Orville, this was about a month or so ago, I jumped on it because I'm about an hour drive from the Paley uh, Center for Media Arts located in Beverly Hills. It's like right next to Rodeo Drive. And I got up there and I think I got the, the last seat in the auditorium. It's not a big auditorium. And sat down and the crowd is basically an L.A. scene, L.A. crowd. Um where everybody in Los Angeles is so used to Hollywood and movies and television production and stuff like that. They were showing a number of shows that night. They were showing The Orville, Ghosted, and The Gifted. I'll tell you right now, I did not stick around for The Ghosted, or Ghosted and The Gifted. Sorry, Joe. Uh, yeah, I was <laughs> going to ask how that was. I like Adam Scott, so um, I was just curious. Because I was tired and I had an hour drive home. But anyway... They announced that since we they had already premiered the first episode, we were in fact going to see the second episode. So that was a real treat for me. So I got to see the, that was on Wednesday night, I believe. So Thursday, Friday, Saturday, so like four or five days ahead of time, ahead of when it aired. I got to see the second episode and how I and I tweeted you right after it how awesome it was. It was better than the first. Yeah, I was waiting with bated breath for Sunday, and then. Uh the preempting uh, rain delay or weather delayed football <laughs> game. <laughs> so yeah, that made and it even worse. Then I thought, you know, Seth MacFarlane was going to be there to talk about the show, you know, and, but it turned out the whole cast was there. They all spoke and, and also including um, David Goodman and uh, Brandon Braga, the two of the producers. And they each talked about aspects of the shows and their characters and, brought shine a little light onto what it's like to do an episode of the Orville and et cetera. And so it was really a treat. It was a really good experience. Um, it's something similar that you may have seen or could see at, you know, San Diego comic-con where the crew get or the cast show up, talk about, and they have a panel, something along those lines. And it was really good and very enjoyable. And I could tell you this, the, those people up there, really really enjoy working on this show and they really really enjoy working with each other and i think that shows in the program yeah it absolutely does the paley fest wasn't the only event this last week that offered some insight into the orville you you uh hooked up onto the uh the reddit ama with seth mcfarlane right i i did uh i i I was on both of uh, Seth's Reddit AMAs. The, I uh, heard there was a little hiccup. Yeah, the the ill-fated initial AMA where uh, he was just taking questions for the Orville, which I was totally fine with, but uh, the general Reddit public didn't really respond well to. Um, so really the highlights I've got from that are only from the first AMA, um, though on the uh, the second AMA, uh, one of the questions I um, saw, uh, Seth did respond that um, if anyone has William Shatner's phone number, let him know. <laughs> he went over a few th uh, a few things. Like we found out that, uh, and this is going to be, uh, some of this is going to be future spoilers, So, but not really heavy. But uh, So episode three, which uh, we'll be getting in a couple of days, uh, they're going to start exploring Bordas's culture in depth. Right. I think the now here's the official tagline for that episode. It's called About a Girl. 
and it's Ed and the crew face moral dilemma as they travel to board this planet on an all new time period period premiere of the Orville Thursday, September 21st on Fox. It's moving to Thursday nights. And the Orville crew is divided between cultures when Bordis and Clyden debate on their newly born offspring should receive a controversial surgery in the all new about a girl. <laughs> yeah. That, <laughs> can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, so, uh, so next um, I ran across, he said uh, there was a question about uh, if we'll see, other parts of the ship, like engine room and things like that. And he did confirm that we will be seeing the engine room in episode five. And I believe episode five is the one that Jonathan Frakes uh, directed. Okay. And speaking of engine rooms, we were introduced to um, uh, the chief engineer in this last episode. We were. Larry Joe Campbell plays the chief engineer. Yeah, Steve Newton. And I was very, I like him. I think he was the only reason I ever watched the... Um, that Jim Belushi show. Yeah. According to Jim, I think that yeah. was. Yeah. Um, what else did you get on uh, the AMA? Uh, well, he did confirm that uh, it is named for Orville Wright, not Orville Redenbacher. Okay, good. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's, that's for those that didn't notice the, uh, the Wright flyer that was on his desk. And uh, he did say that he was trying to make a sci-fi show accessible to people who historically have no interest in the genre while still writing the real stuff, which we went into that in, in our episode one. Mm-hmm. And what about the transporters with the transporters uh, that, and this is a direct quote from the AMA. Um, he said, uh, we like seeing the shuttle fly around decided it would be more challenging in a good way to have to write themselves out of predicaments without it. I like it too. The, the transporter gets kind of easy to use and that the and um i've thought this way about drama nowadays with the, with computers and cell phones you know modern day dramas aren't as as exciting and you know they're not as suspenseful and the really good suspenseful episodes of any of the star treks happen to be when for whatever reason they something was either wrong with the transporter or they couldn't use the transporter and had to rely on the shuttlecraft. Yeah, and they did have a little transporter action in the latest episode, but it wasn't their transporter. Right. They don't they don't have it at their disposal for use all the time. So let's get into episode two command performance. Was I right or was I right? Was it better than the first episode? It was better than the first episode, and that's really to me that's that's a the first episode was a high mark already. Yeah, because um, we we talked about in the last step our first episode, our clunky first episode, that origin our premiere episodes tend to have the hurdle of having to overcome being clunky, and where they often have to end up relying on telling instead of showing, and they don't come off as you know, Paul, as, as good as later episodes do. And as in the case, you know, like you said, it was the first episode of the Orville was still very good and still very enjoyable, but they're sort of getting their, their space legs. Let me put it that way. Yeah. And, um, underneath them. And this, this episode really shines. Um, and speaking of shining, uh, character of Alara Catan, uh, really comes through in this one. Cause it's, Pretty much, you know, her show. 
Yeah, yeah, this entire episode was very much centered on her and her character development. And the aspect of her being so young, and again, spoiler alert, people, being a young officer in the Planetary Union, this is the first time she takes command because Bordis is busy with, he's, he's uh, predisposed, so to speak, <laughs> and Kelly and Ed are mysteriously vanish when they go off the ship to investigate something. So it's all her and we see some good drama. Yeah, absolutely. And, and she, and she really came into her own in this episode from you, you can, you know, you can tell whenever she's given command, how absolutely unsure she is through just, you know, literally making the uh, command decision. And with um, Kelly and Ed, they're forced to be, they're stuck in a situation together. And we knew this was going to be part of the show, being that they are um, a divorced couple. But we're already starting to play with that aspect of will they or won't they? Which, you know, again, is a popular trope in television. And I think being set in a science fiction setting as it is, it's 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 a fun new take on it. And we were introduced to Clyden. Yeah, yeah, Clyden, which is uh Bordis's mate, and um I don't know what I mean, co father of their egg. Yeah, it's a it's a my two dads type of situation going on. Except it's not Paul Reiser and Greg Evigan. How about how about that for a reference to pull out of the 90s or was that an 80s 90s show i think okay (laughs) (laughs) um and i thought that was inspiring casting oh well first let's talk about clyden that's uh chad coleman from the walking dead the walking dead and uh i I believe he was in the wire as well yeah the wire yeah it's kind of interesting to see these type of characters or the way these characters look they look like they look like beefy klingons right wouldn't you say yeah I, I agree with that. Uh, beefy Klingon is a it's, it's a really good description, and all the, you know, and completely down to the uh, to the delivery of the lines. And to have these two type of characters, the way they look and the way they act, and both being male, and yet they are mates, they are partners. A lot of people have been making, you know, a much ado about how Star Trek Discovery is going to find, you know, finally have real gay characters in the Star Trek universe. And not saying that they're, they're gay is probably not the right terminology for them. They're literally a single, a, a single sex species. Well, exactly. They, they literally were a single sex species. But the Orville has beaten the punch to explore same sex relationship and partnership than Star Trek. Sorry, guys. Yeah, beat you by two weeks, Star Trek. <laughs> um, now, inspired casting, Holland Taylor and Jeffrey Tambor as Ed's parents. Yeah, that that entire exchange was just hilarious. <laughs> Never thought I would um, I would I would hear uh, about colon scans and diverticulitis in, um, <laughs> in a sci-fi show, but there we are. Now, when I heard that Holland Taylor and Jeffrey Tambor were going to be on the show, I, I immediately thought that they were going to play his parents. And it's, it's hilarious and it's funny and it's comedy, but they really nail the parent 
persona. And I think especially when they're dealing with um, Kelly as well, that whole mother-in-law, daughter-in-law quick exchange. Um, yeah, was it worth it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we got introduced to Admiral Tucker, who apparently will be a reoccurring character as well, played by Ron Canada. Yeah, and... He, he's famous. Well, he's a character actor who basically plays judges and police captains, I think. Yeah, and I, I saw he's also had some uh, experience in the Star Trek universe as well. Yeah, he had, I think he's been in Next Generation, Voyager, and Deep Space Nine, different characters and all of them. But a lot of the a lot of actors who are in Star Trek are in that, and that's something you know that you know Patrick brought up too when we talked to him earlier tonight. Um, and then I did not even catch this but you caught a couple of former Mythbusters in the show yeah I, I didn't catch it directly in there there you you can see the point where the camera lingers on uh, these extras for a little longer than normal and um, then there was a uh, either a Facebook or a uh, or a Twitter post that uh, Tori Belici uh, posted that uh, him and Carrie Byron were in there as just random uh, Caliban zoo visitors had them in their makeup. This show is already pulling, um, you know, from cameos such as that to guest stars, such as Holland Taylor and Jeffrey Tambor. It's really, it's, it seems to be the perfect vehicle for surprises like that. Uh, like Rob Lowe in the first episode and in the AMA that Seth McFarland recently did on Reddit, he did confirm that there will be Star Trek actors appearing on the show. Now, you know, he could have been speaking about Ron Canada, who's been in, you know, a number of different Star Trek incarnations who played Admiral Tucker and will be on it again. But this got us thinking about Star Trek actors who we would like to see on the episodes. And we kind of talked about Patrick Stewart and William Shatner in the last episode. Well, let's expand on those. Throw, throw a name out at me, uh, Joan. What? How you? How you see them being in the episode? In an episode of the Orville? The uh, the the first two actually that I had up on my list were Patrick Stewart and William Shatner. But no, oh, same uh, here. Let's discuss them. <laughs> Let's discuss. Pat, give me your Patrick Stewart pitch. Okay. Well, I was saying with Patrick Stewart, he's got a pre-existing connection to Seth MacFarlane, so I, I just don't see how that won't happen eventually. I don't know what role he'll play, but uh, I'm thinking. In my mind, I've got him either as the recently retired captain of the Orville, mm-hmm. um, or maybe a low-ranking villain, or a janitor. I, just something, uh, something along those lines. All right, I see Patrick Stewart come on show, and as you said, you know he's worked with Seth plenty of times before, so it's something that's definitely in the cards and could easily happen. Comparing the Orville to another dramedy, Mash. Um, before Harry Morgan came on to play Colonel Potter, he made a guest appearance on MASH where he played a character named Major General Bartford Hamilton Steele. And the episode was called The General Flipped at Dawn. And he was a a real well-respected general who turned out to be a fucking nutcase. Just a crazy (laughs) man. I would like to see Patrick Stewart come on the show and play a, perhaps an admiral who's revered and respected beyond any other admiral in the planetary union 
and he's just crazy. Just and give him a give Patrick Stewart the moment to shine in a crazy character type far-fetched role that he definitely has the chops to play. At least that's how I would like to see Patrick Stewart on the Orville. Yeah, I, have, I like that better than my idea. <laughs> <laughs> now, speaking of crazy, what about William Shatner? <laughs> William Shatner. Um, so originally I, I had uh, had him pinned as uh, being Ed's father. Um, and uh, I, I think it would have been great in that, but Jeffrey Tambor just nailed it. Right. Um, so I, you know, I'm, I'm just doing the pedestrian thing and I'm just going to switch that over to him being Kelly's dad. Okay. All right. Um, I see William Shatner. Here's the episode and here's this, I guess here's my would be want to be, this is, this is my, Hey Seth, if you're listening, I'm pitching to be a part of the writer's room next season. If you didn't already love my Patrick Stewart idea, you're going to love my William Shatner idea. Captain Ed Mercer is on trial for a court-martial. And William Shatner is the unconventional Planetary Union lawyer who's there to defend him in a sort of... his char- The character that William Shatner played in a Boston Legal. Yeah, Denny Crane. Yeah. Um, he got an Emmy for that, didn't he? I think so. So that's how I see William Shatner at coming onto the Orville, playing a unconventional attorney who's there, a JAG, or is that what they are in the military and the Navy? Yeah, JAG. Uh, to uh, save uh, Ed Mercer's ass from being court-martialed. Who else you got there, Joe? Um, I also have Michael Dorn down. But I, I don't want him. I don't want him to play what everyone would have ex- would expect. I mean, you know, we talked about the similarities between the Mocklins and the Klingons, at least with the aesthetic. But I, I just, I, I would just like him not to be in the prosthetics for once, with whatever that role might be. Yeah, he's a good-looking man. You, do you remember way back in the day when he was on Chips? I remember Chips, but I don't remember him being in Chips. Yeah, look it up. Look it up. He was like in the last uh, season or two. He was one of the guys. Um, I thought about Michael Dorn, but I went another direction. I'm going with Will Wheaton. I have Will down, too. All right. Let me hear your Will. Uh, you know, I really just had him down because I I like Will Wheaton, and I'm, I'm going to be unapologetic about it. <laughs> <laughs> and I know he polarizes some people, but I, I just it just seems right to me to at least have a guest cameo somewhere on the Orville. I've, I've, I was on a panel with Will Wheaton in San Diego Comic-Con one, one summer, and he's a very nice guy. I can tell you that. Um, I see Will Wheaton coming on the show. Now, in the first episode... Uh, Scott Grimes' character, Gordon Malloy, mentions that he had a hard time because he let his cousin shoot a porno in the back of a shuttle for in exchange for pills. <laughs> yeah. Now, whether that story is true or not, let's just say it's not true, but I think he may have based that on his actual cousin. And I think Will Wheaton needs to come on the show and play Gordon Malloy's cousin. What do you think? I, I like that. And, and, and Will, if you're listening, definitely 
get get connected with Seth on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, who else you got? Um, outside of that, I, I'm I'm moving out of the uh, out of the Star Trek television universe and going into the movies, and I basically pulling in Simon Pegg. I mean, the guy has been in Star Trek. He's had cameos in Star Wars. So why not put him in the Orville too? Uh, that's who was next on my list as well. I see. Yeah, so we, na- we, we nailed 100% on our <laughs> list. Look at that. And, and these were totally done separate. We were going to surprise each other. Yeah, I see Simon Pegg coming on and playing a uh, Harry Mudd type role. He could be a reoccurring character, not necessarily a villain or an antagonist or foe, but definitely a thorn in the side of the crew of the Orville. So that's who we're thinking Star Trek wise could come on as far as Star Trek alumni who we'd like to see on the Orville and how we'd like to see the, or not doesn't have to be how we'd like to see them on the Orville, but how we think they could play into the Orville. What else do we got there, Joe? We had a, uh, we had a new review oh. on, uh, on iTunes. It was from, uh, uh, our 100th Twitter follower, and it was a five star. And um, just would like everybody else to go out and also rate us five stars. Yeah, we appreciate it. Again, the way to get uh, more ears listening to the Planetary Union Network is, especially on iTunes, is through the downloads and the reviews and the ratings. So uh, if you're listening to the show and you like the show, please get on iTunes and. Um, just hell, just make an account, even if you don't listen to us on iTunes. If you use Stitcher or Podbean or something else, uh, Google Play, just make an iTunes account just to go on there and leave a, a you know, five star ranking and review. We'd appreciate it. Yeah, and um, beyond that, you know, always uh, go out and share us on Twitter, like us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, follow us, tweet all up in our face space. Yeah, on Twitter we are a planetary underscore union and then on facebook i just i think it's planetary union yeah it's just planetary union network yeah planetary union network um easy to find uh we're already building a a a nice um nice community uh people we've interacted with so far on twitter and facebook has been a truly a joy um i guess no real thorns are really uh you know hassles yet Though being the, like we were talking about with uh, Patrick earlier, being the, the dedicated fans that uh, we all are, we're sure um, there'll be some disagreements, but uh, we look forward to it. We look forward to the, the debates on your thoughts uh, compared to our thoughts regarding the Orville. And I'm sure Joe and I will eventually disagree on something. Not on our who we think from Star Trek should be on. Orville apparently, but yeah, we'll get around to it. Not. Yeah. So, <laughs> and also speaking of Twitter, we uh, we actually got a um, we got an ask for T-shirts if we're going to have uh, Planetary Union Network uh, logo T-shirts. Yeah, I was thinking along those lines too. I'd like to get some stickers out in the world. So let's work on we'll work on that. We'll try to get um, some sort of merch swag. I guess is what the kids call it uh regarding planetary union network um and uh, we'll be sure to let you know again on twitter facebook and the podcast itself on what we come up with so like the orville changing time slots we're going to as well right joe 
Yeah, we're going to um, a day earlier. The past two weeks, we've uh, recorded on Monday and uh, put out on Tuesday, uh, but we're going to go to a regular time, uh, regular release schedule of uh, Mondays following new episodes of the Orville. Right, because uh, Orville's moving to Thursdays. That'll give us a chance to record and edit and such over the weekend. And nothing happens on the internet over the weekend anyway, so we'll be fresh and ready for you Monday morning on your commute to work. And uh, for you to enjoy uh, the Planetary Union Network as we discuss and talk more about the Orville. I think that uh, pretty much wraps it up for this week, right, Joe? Yeah, just want to thank everybody for listening, and uh, we like being your Orville podcast of choice. Yeah, we do. And we, um, and we appreciate uh, Patrick Cox coming on and joining us and talk about Justin the Ogre and Orville. And uh, make sure you check out his project, Brick. What was it? Brickerati. Brickerati. I knew I was yeah, going to. I had, I, 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 yeah, I see. That's why I didn't say it the first time. I let him do it. Trying to say it. I think I just had a stroke. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah. So, so Brickerati, uh, it's going to, he says, going to be on a, uh, this is a streaming media that potentially Verizon handles. Yeah, we will keep an eye out for that and we will let you know when and where it is and we are again we're hoping to definitely we'll have Patrick on again cuz he was a joy to talk. He was as delightful as Justin the Ogre. Absolutely. We scored on that one. So, again, thank you Patrick uh for joining us and thank you. I don't know if the Orville fan base has decided on their fan name yet. Is it Orvillians? Orvillites? I, you know, I like uh, I like arborists. Yeah, I don't think that's going to stick, Joe. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can try. You can try. Um, so to all the uh, um, Orvillians, I think that's my favorite, and the Orvillites, and I hope Redenbachers doesn't stick either. Uh, we appreciate you joining and listening to us uh, Babylon about uh, the Orville. And um, I think we'll, we got to come up with a name for our listeners. I'm thinking right now, punsters. Punsters. Nice. Okay. Till next week. Uh, we'll see you then. Thank you. <laughs>